That's Rebel Burton, the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome back to the show Fangraphs prospect analyst and resident bon vivant, Kylie McDaniel. Kylie and I discuss, among other things, the Phillies' acquisition of catcher JT Realmuto, Kylie's hot takes on Jorge Alfaro, the state of Kylie's home renovation, and my review of Netflix's Ted Bundy documentary. Spoiler alert, he was a monster. We also briefly preview Prospect Week, a week for which we are very excited, and discuss the cold stove, as we are legally obligated to do. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of the last two loaves of bread your Safeway has in stock in advance of a snowstorm, you can support the wonderful work at Fangraphs, including the aforementioned Prospect Week, lovingly delivered by Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel, Jeff Sullivan's assessments of MLB's latest proposed rule changes, and Cheryl Ring's legal analysis. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without the ban- without banner ads facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Kylie McDaniel, prospect and frosé enthusiast, which begins right now. Have we started already? We're starting again. Kylie, Um, we lost two minutes of just really brilliant banter. Sparkling audio. Lost lost to the auspices of the internet. Your frank opinions of all of our colleagues and coworkers, and now people are just going to have to guess. They're just going to have to speculate wildly. It was offensive, I would say. That's for sure. It did did make me long for an HR department. Uh, But here you are. We were trying again. Hopefully this will work for real this time. But hey, you're Kylie McDaniel and you're on the line again. I I hate it when podcasts lose a little bit of audio and then they're like let's try to recreate the banter and it's never as good you can tell they don't they don't mean it their heart's not in it i mean should we even cut out the part up until now acknowledging that we lost audio and just act like we're starting right now no we're probably gonna keep it i'm a big fan of people realizing that we're income poops plus like if we're not going to recreate the banter it would be impossible to recreate the kind of energy we had yeah we're gonna have to dig down deep and find new energy kylie how are you <laughs> i'm about to drink seven red bulls to recreate that energy that's oh, all i'm doing boy Gonna gonna lean into people's perception of you as a bro, as a prospect bro. I quit drinking Axe body spray, so I thought I was moving away from it. Do you think that you say bro less frequently now that Carson has departed or more frequently? Where Where is your bro usage falling these days? I would say the earnest out loud spoken bros uh, remain at zero, <laughs> but the uh, typed and or ironic bros they're still going on strong okay good you know i don't want people to feel like they've had to change their professional lives all that much or their you know personalities just because they work for me now yeah obviously the concept of bro is uh gender fluid or gender neutral i suppose there's an argument to be made that you're even more bro than carson <laughs> is it because uh i have a lot of bobbleheads is it because i i mean that's not hurting your cause no is it because i Sat a whole weekend and watched football? Carson hasn't done that. Probably not in a long time. Yeah, I would say if you were to ask him about football, he would immediately start talking about how Paris Saint-Germain is overrated, <laughs> and that's not very bro-y. <laughs> like, if, if Carson was sitting here and he did that, I'd be like, bro. Bro. We, as a staff, definitely say rad more than we used to, which is my influence, I think. What was the word that you said that I was using seemingly in place of saying rad like the rest of the staff? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I'd have to go back through various text chains of you sending me details about your house and the home improvements you're venturing in as a new homeowner. Mm. It's all very exciting. I would say even captivating. (laughs) I didn't know that they made hype videos for sinks until uh, you purchased a home and I uh, mentioned that I occasionally watch HGTV. And since then, I've learned I've learned a great deal about sinks and uh, light fixtures uh-huh. and attempting to put wood on the ceiling in rooms that don't currently have wood on the ceiling. Yeah, which I've now moved away from. But, you know, that was a consideration. Would you say that the <laughs> the flow of information from me to you about home improvement has resembled the faucet that had the hype video? Yes, I, I would say it's been a, a steady flow, a predictable flow, which I guess for sinks is good. Like you just want sinks to work. I, I would imagine you want all aspects of your home to just, you know, all the stuff in your house to just work. 
I have suffered this this week from a furnace that isn't igniting. And as a renter, it has not made me keen to own a house. Yeah, I actually have an older furnace. But today, it will dismay you to learn, I just left the back door open and turned off the AC. <laughs> Man, I... Is hate a strong word there? I feel like hate is a yeah, word. Yeah, I'm trying to find, I mean, speaking of like needing an HR department, I'm I'm trying to find an appropriate way to tell you to, Dylan, I'm going to do a swear, go f*** yourself a little bit. I don't think I can come up with one that Dylan's not going to have to bleep, so I would just point out that it's pretty rude because it feels like the ice planet Hoth in my house at the moment, except for the, the back uh, living room, which has a wall heat unit and has several space heaters, and we are able to close off from the rest of the house. So that one room is very warm and toasty, and the rest of the house, you can almost see your breath. But sure, yeah, turn off that EC, man. Good for you. Now, I will say, like, uh, you know, this uh, podcast, you may or may not know this, uh, is being directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So there's going to be a couple twists. And the oh, first boy. one is that, well, you know, you're poking some fun at the uh, the hype video for the sink that or the faucet that I haven't yeah. bought yet, but I probably will. Sure. It will be dispensing exclusively Prosecco and Frosé. <gasps> oh, I take it all back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I have one fridge just for burrata. Oh my god! Yeah, mind, so Kylie. like, I guess yeah, I will have to come visit you in Atlanta. I feel like I'm trying to like lean into <laughs> both what people think I am, bro wise, and also what the FanGraph staff is in terms of eating fine foods. Yeah, we've we've adopted a particular, I think, culinary culture at FanGraphs, which is mostly enjoying David Appleman's largesse when we come together as a staff. But if I if I could pinpoint my own contributions to that wildly eclectic and, and lovely uh, culinary scene, I would say that it is uh, frosé uh, being embraced by pretty much our entire staff and an appreciation for various Italian cheeses. So I guess in that respect, Carson and I are pretty similar. Yeah, although I think you uh, you do, we'll say, stereotypical Italian impressions less often than he does. <laughs> Well, you haven't been on the podcast since I took over. So how do you know, man? Well, I mean, you're implying that I don't listen, which is a it's okay. Assumption. No, <laughs> you can you can admit that you don't listen to my podcast. No, I don't listen to all of them, but I, I definitely listen to more than zero of them. Can you please give a detailed list of which ones you have and haven't <laughs> listened to that your colleagues will not take as a slight in any way, shape, or form? I actually think even the ones that I don't want to listen to, I'll still I'll still poke around for five minutes and see if I can unearth some gems. Sure, yeah. Puts a lot of pressure on the first little bit. Well, no, I, I skip around. Like Maybe I'll go straight to 30 minutes to see what we got there. Oh, well, that is a wild approach resembling anarchy that I can't say that I endorse. I also listen to podcasts at like 1.6 times normal speed, so <sighs> I, I can already tell we're not on the same page. But, like, don't you encounter hosts like, I mean, I can uh, talk pretty quickly. Like, I can't imagine listening to Effectively Wild at that rate because, well, Ben would probably sound like a normal person. He has just a, a nice, easy pace. It's not a knock. It's, it's a nice thing. Can you even understand Jeff on Effectively Wild if you listen at, like, 1.5 or 2x speed? Uh, I say this with great affection, to be clear. That's one of the podcasts that I'll have to sometimes, you know, screw, Slow down. screw with the timing a bit. Yeah. Ugh. What sacrifices. Kylie, when was the last time you were on Fangraphs Audio? It was uh, sometime before Ump, the Untitled McDoggenhagen Project, started because Carson then decided to start a war behind the scenes against me and Eric for usurping his podcast throne. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I don't know, like November or October or something? Wow. It's been a long time. Yeah. Can you make that noise one more time? Wow. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Do we need an HR department? Welcome back to the show. No, it's I, I say it all with great affection. Um, you know, I've welcomed you to Seattle. We we are pals. That's you've, true. You've yeah. stayed in my home, which thank God it, it. You know, thank God that driveline pro day wasn't a wasn't this week. We'd all be very chilly. You said in my home with enough alarm that it sounded like you didn't realize I was there, and then you just like woke up and you're like, "Whoa, you're in my home." I went to the airport to pick up Eric, and there you were. <laughs> like, hey guys, you're here too. Yeah, oh, I guess guess you can sleep on sleep on the other couch for for a weekend. And it turns out by the other couch you meant the backyard. <laughs> it's just a different rec room. It makes my house sound very grand, which it is not. But the East Wing is, I, I think, stunning for how <laughs> it was described. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, my humble abode. So here you are. You're back on Fangraphs Audio. As you mentioned, we are going to have Prospect Week next week, which will feature some content around the the pro day that we just referenced. But before we get there. 
Kylie, we have the benefit of having you, a prospect analyst, on the program on this, the day that prospects were exchanged in trade for uh, for for JTO Rumuto. Said that strangely, but you know who I'm talking about. So so uh, so like, give us your hot take, Kylie. What's your take? What's your take on this trade for a catcher who feels like we have been talking about as a, a trade target for maybe a century and a half? Yeah, I feel right. I, I mean, if we're going to like venture into hot take territory, I don't think Jorge Alfaro is very good. Oh, my God. OK, so we really are doing this. Here we go. Tell us. I mean, he, he was a tell us player a story. Last year. Yeah. OK, so he is the sort of quintessential example of having, uh, I believe the technical term would be Buku tools or mm-hmm. Bakker's tools. Mm hmm. And doesn't really know how to play baseball beyond just letting his tools play. Like there's not sure. a lot of tools, not a ton of skills. So often Eric and I will write about a prospect that has like a bad approach and everyone will say, oh, well, he's not striking out a lot. And we're like, yeah, it's because he's an A-ball. Like when he right. gets to the higher levels and the pitchers are better, he's going to strike out a lot. Right. And you can't necessarily see that in the numbers, but you know, that's what's happening. And he is a classic example of that. He's also like, you know, a catcher and he's got a great arm and he's not like awful back there he's like a pretty good athlete but when it comes to like the finer points the soft skills of sort of catching and you know game calling and making contact and all all the little things um you know he, I'm, I'm on his fan crash player page like his first pro season was in 2010 and we're now going into 2019 it's been nine years and the scouting report has essentially not changed at all other than sure. he performed at a different level each year right which isn't nothing but yeah, like he's he has so physically talented and you know, there's like some sevens on the card, which is pretty rare mm-hmm. for arm strength and raw power. And they were probably sevens in, you know, twenty eleven. Like it's been that way for a while. Those are usually loud enough that if you have those and play an important position and have some semblance of back control, which he does, you can find your way to the big leagues. You see a lot of like teenage shortstops get to like double A when they're not really like slam dunk everyday big leaguers but it's just like whatever this guy's gonna be he kind of is it already and he can find enough value to get up there and i think alfaro did a version of that and i'm not super bullish but as as you know i know you probably love people pointing out their tweets during a podcast it's the best radio we have really yeah i mean i'd love we could just turn twitter into a podcast but this is the best we have (laughs) i pointed out that when it was i guess rumored and looked like it was about to happen we had you know reasonable idea that that was going to happen I pointed out that in the big trades that the Marlins have made so far, which would be the Stanton to the Yankees, Yelich to Milwaukee, and then this trade. Am I missing one? Those are the big, th- the big three ones. Mm-hmm. That they have acquired players who generally, as the sort of headliners of the deal, are pitchers who throw really hard and have yeah. a lot of upside but have some sort of issue, and hitters who have insane upside and crazy tools and then some real contact and or patience issues. So it's pretty clear that the Marlins want upside and the chance to have, you know, a 5-1 player. But for every time one of those guys turns into Carlos Gomez, there's going to be four guys that are, I don't know, pick your Dallas McPherson, you know, whoever it is. Very disappointed you didn't pick an obscure football player to just take it back to our original. It's a missed opportunity for Ken a callback. Lucas. Yeah, Ken Lucas. <laughs> oh my God. What kind of baseball player would Ken Lucas have been? I don't know. It sounds like you and Eric know much more about Ken Lucas than I do. Like, I know the name, and that's about it. But going back to the players the Marlins have chosen, like, they have the capital in the Stanton... Oh, Ozuna. That was the other one. Yeah. Uh, Stanton, Ozuna, Real Muto, Yelich. And all those trades to sort of pick almost whoever you want, maybe accepting one or two prospects in each system. And they keep picking these lower... Lower... What am I? I guess higher variance, higher risk, higher upside, uh, lower certainty, often further from the sure. big leagues. And the funny thing is you can sort of, if you want to turn this into a binary thing, you can take sort of the progressive idea of a rebuild and the traditional idea of a rebuild and say that the progressive idea would be, we don't really care what guys' tools are necessarily or their prospect pedigree. We just want to find guys that, you know, usually closer to the big leagues is how, you know, those progressive teams lean. And if you look at like, you know, the guys that Pittsburgh got in the Garrett Coltrade or what Milwaukee's been doing or Tampa... They just sort of stockpile a bunch of guys that they think will be two-win guys right. and see if you can turn them into a three-win guy or do you just get a guy at the league minimum that's two wins and save yourself $10 million. Right. And the traditional approach to this would be with the Braves did under Coppola, which now has turned a little more progressive with Anthopolis there. The Padres are doing with Preller, what the Royals have been doing and or did 
and probably doing again, and what the Marlins are doing, which right. is very much let's stockpile big bonus guys, high picks, maybe guys that have a lot of prospect pedigree that had a down season, and then let's just hope they all hit at the same time and show up, and we'll just figure out the backups after that. Right. And so clearly the Marlins, who if you know we could have guessed before this all started, they would be on the traditional end of things. They continue sort of doubling down on that vision, and it has not gone very well so far. And I don't really like Alfaro because I, in the same way that I didn't really like, you know, Magnus Sierra, Sandy Alcantara, like we, we rank them somewhere on a prospect list. But when it comes down to, do you want this guy or that guy? You might get fired if you pick the wrong one. Those are not the kinds of guys that I would take, even though they have, you know, obvious prospect value. Well, and interesting that the the approach, I mean, I think you noted when we did the Marlins list, are you comfortable with me using the term we as if I did anything other than make sure that the commas were in the right places? But when, when Fangraphs, when you and Eric wrote the, the Marlins list, and I think you wrote a, a lot of that system overview, you noted that, you know, there's been a, an organizational shift there in a more um, sort of complete place from a front office hiring and systems perspective than they were, uh, say, a year ago when when those trades that I think we're all looking back on and going like, ooh, that's all you got for Christian Yellows, ooh, we're making that ooh sound. Gulp. Gulp. Yikes. Uh, they're, you know, they're as an organization sort of much further along in retooling that front office and the the people and systems that they're using to do that, but perhaps uh, are still going at this uh, approach despite those changes. So I guess that's a little interesting thing to note. You want to talk about your Sanchez hot takes? You got any Sanchez hot takes or just like actual takes tell us a story about 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 six sanchez if, story. He, if he pitches all of next year and the only like regular starts that he doesn't take are a result of you know limiting his innings and you know not a result of injuries then force whitley is probably going to graduate at some point toward the middle of the season sexto will i think pretty easily be the best pitcher in all of the minor leagues yeah. as far as prospect wise goes and it's because this, you know, stuff is uh, bonkers, buku. And he's only six feet tall. But so in that way, like I like him better than some of the guys we talked about from these other trades. Sure. But also Real Muto is, I think, by far the best player on the trade market by a good margin. And Sixto is a pitcher who's been like hurt most of the last two years. So it's like, yeah. if that guy wasn't on the table, then what, you know, what are we doing here, guys? Yeah. So while I like him a lot, yeah. it's basically just stay healthy and do the same thing and you're awesome. And if you don't, then it's just like, oh boy, this is a lot of talent to kind of not turn into something. Yikes. <laughs> we might be gulping again. Yikes. But we we could say that um, you know, this this if it works out is a is a promising return. And now we just have to see if it does. Wouldn't it be nice if we knew in advance we could we could put money on it? Well, this would be a good time for me to bring up something that I think makes you cringe, so you know. Oh, no. Even better chance. Uh, what what would you do if you could actually bet on these things with fake actual money in a Fangraph sportsbook? I think that you know there are a lot of things about the way that Major League Baseball, as a as a business entity, has sort of conducted itself in the last couple of years that I resent. A lot of things I like because baseball rocks, but uh, a lot of things I resent. And one, I think the number one thing that I personally don't like, even though the the stakes uh, it has for, you know, the human people playing baseball are lower, perhaps, although maybe not, than other things is I, I don't want to have to know about gambling. I don't. I don't care. Like in Kylie, terms of, of I don't care. It, like what what about it do you not care about? All of it. I don't care about any of it. Like the terminology, stuff moving up and down, like predicting yeah, the thing, who's I good don't, at it, who's bad. I don't enjoy you know, it does not thrill me. It does not thrill me like games of chance have have never really done it for me. I don't get any kind of charge out of it. You know, to the point that I sometimes am like, what are the rules again? Uh, even though I know them, have been taught them several times. But when, you know, we knew people who were very excited that winter meetings were in Vegas because it afforded an opportunity to go to Vegas and do Vegas stuff and go, yeah. And I was like, oh, great, cool. None of this is for me. So I don't care about it at all. And I not caring, still know that I'm going to have to know a bunch of stuff about it and learn things and devote part of my brain that could be thinking about what kind of baseball player Ken Lucas would have been to... I don't know how you place a bet on that. <laughs> to gambling on on all sorts of stuff. Well, as, so, a, as a counterpoint to your hot anti-gambling takes, 
Well, I, I have if, never. Wait, hold on. I don't care if other people gamble. I mean, like, I appreciate the destructive force that gambling can be in some people's lives. So, like, that's a bummer. I don't care if other people gamble. If other people like playing poker, that's awesome. I hope they have a very fun time. I like all kinds of shit that other people don't like. Dylan, I did another swear. Twice in one pod. I like all kinds of stuff that other people don't like, and that's fine. But I just, I'm going to have to know about it, and I don't want to because I don't care. Well, I will say as the counterpoint uh, to your, you know, take would be that because, I mean, Eric and I specifically, but I'll just speak for me, are so in tune, interested, whatever, obsessed with sort of ranking things and then re-ranking things. The idea of being able to say, I think this guy's going to go up and this guy's going to go down or, oh, it was four to one. Now it's two to one. Like, oh, is that too much or not enough? Like, it just sort of fits nicely in there. Whether like the idea of like risking money and, you know, all the different elements of it, like just as an extension of, of us, me wanting to rank everything, it mm-hmm. just seems like a natural extension of that to sort of better understand it and find different ways to sort of say, I think this, oh, but you think that. And here's like a number in between the two. And let's take our two sides and see who's right, which is, you know, Carson did that on this podcast. Are you forsaking Carson's over-under game? No, no, I'm not. And I, you know, I speak in that language sometimes, often when I am uh, interested in whether sports executives are going to make fools of themselves in press conferences. Um, For but instance, like, the over-under on Meg Swears in this podcast was 1.5. Oh, boy. I took the over. <laughs> oh, good. We're blowing through that line. I've done a good job of not swearing on this pod in well, a while. Why is that a standard that you shouldn't swear? Well, I mean, I get not doing it all the time. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing. We will entertain this digression for a hot second. You know, I think that people have gotten used to Fangraphs Audio being a podcast that does not feature swears. And so to the extent that they maybe played in the car uh, in the presence of their children, which seems like a bad idea anyway, but might oh, yeah. be- the a- Surgeon General has some opinions about listening to me talk. Yeah, it might be it might be a parenting choice that people make nonetheless. I think- um, being able to consistently expect that things will be bleeped is is sort of nice uh, this deep into a, a podcast run. And I appreciate that I am in in many ways, but a steward of of someone else's IP, as it were, our great legacy the, of the Carson Sestouli. expanded universe, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we talk about a lot of baseball on this podcast now. And so we're already pushing the boundaries of what it was. That's true. And maybe we don't need to incorporate squares as well. So you would say that it was a, um, it's a genteel establishment, um, yeah. you know, part of the patriarchy. Oh, what are we doing, Kylie? Don't. Nope. I, I, I'm just nope. speaking honestly. Nope. Uh, we are going to address one another without swears. Plus, you know, people, people get a, a chuckle when I say, Dylan, I'm a swear. And then I, I do. And then it gets bleeped out. I, I like your like, uh, uh, whatever your um, way of speaking when you get kind of excited. I want to be like a little twee. <laughs> I enjoy that because I don't experience that in other parts of my life. I guess I talk to too many scouts and they don't usually say like, I'm a swear. No, they don't. They don't do that. Like a sassy cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to call you coach a million times, but they're they're not going to preface their swearing by saying I'm a swear now. That that yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, it makes me think. Are you eavesdropping on all my calls? No, I just uh, you know I know people too, man. <laughs> it's a it's a reliable indicator for for some folks I know in terms of uh, what their alcohol consumption has been for the day. The number that's of coaches yeah. that you get is anyway. So how, how, let me ask you this: How many people do you think are in my phone that every time one of us calls each other, the first word said in the conversation is a hundred percent of the time it is coach. Well, I, having called you on the phone, know that you often answer the phone by saying, go for Kylie, so. <laughs> Sometimes you've got Kylie. Sometimes you've got Kylie. Yes, that's true. That that one actually does probably uh, happen a little more frequently than go for Kylie. That's uh, when I'm a sassy cartoon character. Yeah. I mean, look, we all have our moments where we're like, if I were being drawn right now, I'd be a zany cat with a weird hat on. No to answer your one. question, there's, I would say five that if I that see the name right. pop up on my phone, I click pick up and i say coach yeah that sounds about right so gambling doing lists yeah like i mean like listing things and ranking them relative to one another is also a thing that i find interesting it's just all the other you know the ecosystem around that that is related to professional sports betting of any kind is just like thoroughly uninteresting to me so 
betting culture I'm not a fan of. Like, hanging out in a casino does not sound fun to me. The idea of, this guy's 12th on our board, this guy's 13th on our board, this one's 4-1 to one to go in the top 8, this one's 8-1. to one. Like, that sort of, like, numbers approach to thing, that's interesting to me. Mm. Were you there when we watched a, a Monday Night Football game at the Sportsbook in Las Vegas? Yeah, I showed up for, like, the last the part of the fourth yeah. quarter. Yeah, that sounds right. That was fun. That's as much uh, casino sports book time as I really need. I was happy to get to demonstrate to all of our colleagues uh, what a monster I can be when watching football that I actually care about and have a rooting interest in. And once the game ended, you were so eager to get over to the Delano and like just really rub arms with baseball's elite and uh, drink some expensive drinks and uh, talk about the bourgeoisie. I believe I did not. I didn't make it. I didn't make it over there. Really? I figured you would at some point. No, no. I I made people come to me. <laughs> Wow, a real patriarchy move. It's just a power move. It doesn't have to be gendered, Kylie. Yeah, I guess it could be a matriarchal. Yeah, what other what a what a wide-ranging pod we've conducted so far. Yeah, what uh what topic tags did you throw on this one so far? I I don't even know, man. Swears and patriarchy probably. And bro. Um what yeah. else were we going to talk about? We were going to talk about prospect week. Yeah. It's going to be prospect week. One of it the better is. weeks. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those weeks. Yeah, yeah, I would say like if I'm trying to think of like the sort of high water mark as far as like interest for things that uh, at least I produce, it would be like right before the draft, prospects week, trade value rankings. Yep, those are probably the three. I guess that's yeah, it's, those are the three events. Yeah, we're coming we're coming up on a big, uh, rather important week here, uh, in terms of our coverage, which I just have to say has been really uh, terrific so far. I would I would say exemplary if I had to put another adjective on it, even though I think the raise list almost killed all three of us. Yes, that, yes, that that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I would say that uh, hopefully speaking, uh, next week will be a clicks bonanza. Well, you know, I think that uh, our readers are just very smart and discerning, and they recognize quality when they see it, and the work you guys do is excellent, and Prospect Week will be no different. So I expect, yes, that people will be uh, highly engaged and uh, just reading reading through all of it, really, probably in very great detail. Because uh, real we- recognize real. Yeah, we'll be halfway done with lists, which I think we're all thrilled about. Really like to be done with the lists, but, you know. yeah. It's not how life works. (laughs) I uh, appreciate the breadth and depth of coverage that we provide. Let's put it that way. And uh, yeah. What are you guys cooking up for prospects week? I know the answer to that, but like other people who are listening to this podcast don't know. So maybe- Yeah, without without giving away like all the specific articles, um, I would say like broadly, there's going to be like a draft rankings update. Uh, There'll be some July 2 rankings. Uh, There'll be some associated like um, international pro prospect rankings. Very, very good. There'll be your top 100. There'll be uh, some audio in the form of the entitled McDonough and Hagen Project's return. Oh, my God. A long-awaited return. Yeah, we decided after, you know, writing all the lists and, you know, being around the holidays and Prospect Week coming up, we're just like, you know, we'll just call it like a a hiatus or, you know, season two or whatever it is. We're like a Netflix show. Yeah, we'll also have like the typical sort of, uh, you know, chat, sort of behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Some version of sort of graduated prospects, you know, picks to click for the future. Yeah. I think we'll do a review of how our list did last year. Um, we might do some 2019 impact stuff. Sure. Uh, we've got a breakdown of the, uh, you know, driveline pro day. And now that I'm saying this, I'm like, I should stop podcasting. I got to write some more. <laughs> What, what are we doing, Meg? I mean, <laughs> why did I sign up for all this? The people, the people just want to hear and read all of your good words, and uh, and we're, and we're gonna let them. You know, we want to give the people what they want, and then you can like have a you can take a nap at the end. You can be you can just hang out. Because <laughs> I only have fifteen more lists to go. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, how long does a nap take? Yeah, that's be, a good point. Can be rejuvenating. I will be huddled in my freezing cold house during another snowstorm, and uh, we'll just get through as best we can. I think it's really the takeaway. You you won't be able to leave your house for weeks anyway, so you'll just be you'll just be eagerly awaiting the next list. You know, it's it's the sort of thing where I am likely to have to spend the weekend at my mom's because you know their furnace works and they have a fireplace and show offs we yeah so fancy and we are supposed to get at least like it sounds like between six and nine inches don't make a joke but there's like 
potential for significantly more accumulation than that. And Seattle, as I imagine, having seen the news out of Atlanta from time to time when it snows, it is not quite that dramatic in Seattle, but it is it approaches that line. It is not a city that handles snow well, especially when, you know, it's cold for a lot of days in a row and it doesn't melt and blah, blah, blah. So I imagine I am going to spend the weekend at my mom's so that I don't become Mexical and leave you and Eric to fend for yourselves during prospect week. Because what kind of managing editor would I be if I did something like that? You'd be a frozen one. A Mexical. <laughs> Do you think it's going to catch on widely uh, once I tell everyone that the the word I use when a list is ready for you is this list is megable? I don't know, man. So far, it's just you and Eric who say that. Well, that's what I'm saying. It hasn't been exposed to a larger audience. So, you know, mm. maybe this will be the tipping point for the word megable. I mean, on the one hand, I would say no. But on the other hand, I know that from a sort of karmic perspective, I somehow mostly dodged bullets related to the theatrical release of The Meg over the summer. And so I'm probably due. Right? Like that movie was not good. And so it was not widely seen. And so it did not become a part of my online existence last summer. But it really ought to have. And so it is possible that this is just... uh you know, my time has come. I, I feel like I made my thoughts about that movie well known, so I don't feel like I need to comment further. <sighs> we'll let that one go. Well, Prospect Week sounds great. I can't wait to read about it. It's very strange as your editor to say something like that, but I think it's going to be wonderful. They're going to be like, I'm excited for Prospect Week. Maybe you guys could like cut those pieces in half uh, as far as words and amount. That'd be great. But yeah, real excited. I very rarely sort of focus in on word count when when it comes to the two of you except you know in cases where it is really wildly divergent from from normal but when that's been true there's been there's been a good reason does any part of you say that we essentially write a book every off season that we should just write a stinking book already yeah some part of me might say that yeah yeah <laughs> you do essentially i mean like the raise list alone was like had to have been a third of some book yeah, I think, what was it, like 12,000 words or something? It was like 13,000 words. Yeah. It was very good. I'm quite, I, I'm very proud of the work that the two of you did. I thought that it turned out well. It was comprehensive. Could not be accused of not having a comprehensive list when it comes to the to those rays. What, yeah, what's the opposite of that? Would it be non-prehensive? <laughs> Kylie. I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, yeah, it's no, fine. I actually. You're just a professional writer. Don't worry about it. It doesn't happen every time, but you know, you've done a good job on a list when you get texts from people that work for the team that you know, but don't have their number. And they go find someone to give them your number and then text you, Hey, I read that raise list. It was really good. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Hey, you essentially, you know, authored the raise list in real life and you thought we did a good job. Like that's, uh, yeah, that's a good feeling. I think that uh, I think that that is that is good. I also got texts about that list, mostly from people being like, "Hey, how long did that take you? <laughs> Are you dead? <laughs> Are you alive?" No, I joke. You know, people have been uh, quite complimentary of all of your guys's coverage this uh, this season, and and from people who don't have to to fib to me about it. You know, saying that it's good doesn't doesn't get them anything at all, except. Uh, getting to stake a claim to the truth. So there you go. That's what yeah, now all this praise is making me uncomfortable. Can we like move on to things I've done incorrectly? Well, I mean, some of the copy on those lists, Kylie. <laughs> I believe you once called it a dumpster fire of letters. I never said that. I have <laughs> Not even never, words, just letters. <laughs> I have never said anything remotely resembling that. Well, we'll wait until we get an HR department and they'll oh, sort all this out. Oh, boy. What else did you want to talk about? On NBA my trade deadline. What do you got? I have no NBA takes. Wait, is this just going to be a, an avenue for you to talk about Seattle's lack of a basketball team? Well, shame on you. The <laughs> Seattle has a basketball team. They have the uh, champion Storm, who are fantastic. Yeah, you you mind your p's and q's on this here pod. But yes, I it, they do not have an NBA franchise. That is true. It was stolen from them in from us in the middle of the night by you know a bunch of scamps. But what if they were to run for president? Would that be something you'd be I know interested that, in? Like there are so many reasons why we're going to I'm going to give a small warning to our listeners who may be uncomfortable with the discussion of specific political issues. Please rest assured that it won't last for very long, but we have to do this, which is to say there are a number of reasons why I personally uh and why 
Many other people do not think that Howard Schultz is a particularly compelling or qualified presidential candidate. And I am not so big a person and I am not so, you know, assured of my own virtue that I would not delight in the thing that brings him down being his inability to navigate the political situation around the departure of the Seattle Supersonics. It won't be the thing that does it because there are other problems, but I wouldn't mind a national airing of grievances because we have grievances. We have been aggrieved. So there well, you to, go. And to balance out your political opinions, uh, we need a wall. Anyway, moving on. Oh, good grief. <laughs> I'm in a baseball wall. <sighs> Kylie, well, you make me have, tired. Have you ever played on one of those fields where there's no wall? And if you just like hit the ball and they're like, uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, keep running. And like, you know, the ball could you yes. know, technically just kind of roll forever. Yes. It's been quite a while since I have played baseball or softball or even wiffle ball. But yes, I have in my youth, I have played on such a field and you're just like, uh, is this far enough to, to say it's a home run? Probably. Or, or how fast are you? Yeah. I was speedy. I was not a, a big, I was a pretty small kid. I was not a tall person, not a tall child. Uh, my rec league basketball coach called me Shrimpo. Like, mostly in an affectionate way, but also in, like, a this-is-who-you-are kind of way. Yeah, get, get used to it. Yeah. So, and now I'm, you know, I'm just very average-heighted. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a little while since I have I have played baseball. One of my great fears, actually, professionally, is that I will be in a setting where people will just assume, like, oh, it would be fun to just have a little pickup game. And then I will embarrass myself horribly because it has been probably years since I've even really played catch. Like many years and i'm worried that i would just like throw the ball straight down into the ground worry about that i actually didn't i didn't know to be fearful of this but having not ridden a bike in like 10 years somebody's oh. like oh hey can you like hop on this bike and ride with me a couple blocks and i got on the bike and you know there's like that colloquial phrase like oh it's like riding a bike uh not accurate like it took me like a good 20 seconds to like get my bearings and remember how to do it oh dear I mean, yeah. I did. Like, I'm, I'm sure. You know, I guess I'm athletic enough to figure it out. But it's funny that that's like the phrase for "oh, you always remember." And I'm like, oh, I did not remember. Right. I mean, like the the muscles can atrophy, both in in terms of you know the, your literal muscles, but also just like the the muscle memory of having done that. You will be unsurprised to hear in what might be described as one of the big differences between you and I, personality wise, that I have anticipated that kind of failure and been anxious about it. <laughs> And here's the thing. If we, you know, we're both Dutch, not a problem. We'd be doing it every day. <sighs> but there are so many hills in Seattle. But then if you were editing a Dutch baseball site, you'd be writing a honkball nonstop. I mean, we need to bring that stateside honkball. Honkball's great. It's one of those, it's one make, of those expressions we just, every yeah, time. honkball. Yeah. Like, like, you know, that's the thing we shouldn't throw away because it brings me joy. Right. Right. It sparks joy in you. Yeah. I haven't watched that show, but I know. I have been instructed not to watch that show by a friend of mine who knows me well, not because that friend has anything against Marie Kondo, and nor do I, to be clear, but uh, as a person who is perhaps overly fastidious in her housekeeping, my friend worried that it would just spark, you know, spiral of giving stuff away that is probably unnecessary, which is probably a very surface level reading of that show and its benefits. So I apologize profusely, but I have not watched it either. I do find her delightful. And it is nice that that it has uh, inspired so many people to like kind of get rid of junk they don't need and pass things on to people who can use them. So that part's very good and cool. But my friend just worries about my uh, native anxiety level and told me not to watch it. Like you would look at a computer and be like, I haven't gotten joy out of this in four days. I've just been wasting time and editing copy that I didn't want to and just throw it out the window in the middle of that thought. No, that's not true. I like my job very much. Even when it involves editing dense copy, it's a good thing. Editing is great. The site is wonderful. I work with smart people. I don't have any complaints. Have you, I mean, other than, it, I mean, it sounds like you could sleep more. I think you should sleep more. I know it's not my choice, yeah. but it sounds like you should sleep more. Yeah, that would be good. Sleeping more would be good. Does it bother you that I'm that person that if I get seven hours of sleep instead of eight, like I'm feeling it and I'm like, I need to go take a nap. Like I got to resolve this immediately. No, I don't resent the way your body functions, Kylie. It's up to you. It's a very positive message. I, uh, you know, it's fine. 
it's not a problem. It's just it's just a busy it's just a little bit busy, even though baseball is not busy, it's just busy. Uh it'll be less busy at a date that we can't yet announce with a person we can't yet announce joins our staff and takes over the hardball times. Uh and then I'll have, you know, one less publication to run, and that's gonna be terrific. So it's gonna be good. I'm not worried about it. Going back to Marie Kondo, has there been something you've watched on a streaming service recently that has tickled your fancy? Because I've been I've been delving into that as a break from writing, so maybe we've like overlapped in some area on content. Okay, so the way that you phrase that question is going to make my answer sound like I am part of this weird online community of people who is choosing to find this individual attractive despite him being a monster. Have you watched the Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix yet? I have not. Okay, so allow me to say, just to take a side in a debate that I did not realize was necessary, that it is strange to find Ted Bundy attractive. He was a terrible human being who murdered many women and is a, was a monster. He is dead now. So we are not on that bandwagon. I find serial killers very interesting because I have been accused at various points in my life of having, say, an excess of empathy for other people in that I like worry very much when like relievers get shelled. I'm like worried about how they feel. I should just feel less. But anyway, so like serial killers are fascinating to me because it's like clear that, you know, the circuits are just totally miswired and they don't have that experience in much the same way that I find sharks very scary. But because they are scary, I am fascinated by them. So I watched the Ted Bundy documentary in very quick succession over a weekend. And you may or may not know this, Kylie McDaniel, but Ted Bundy's first, you know, he's from Tacoma, Washington, went to the University of Washington. And the the neighborhood where he first started murdering women is like a a five-minute drive from my house. And many of the women who he murdered were like youngish, petite-ish brunettes. So I'm watching the Ted Bundy documentary, particularly the first episode, which is about the early disappearances and then, you know, realization that there is a serial killer at work. And I had put, uh, I had put recycling in my recycling bin and, you know, it, it shifted and settled the way that like stuff settles in a recycling bin after it moves around and it made a noise. And I was by myself on a Friday night. It was dark. It was very stormy out. And the sound that I made. When that trash moved around and I thought there was someone in my house is one that I can't actually replicate on this podcast. It was, it came from a, a primal deep place in my chest. And so I would recommend it. It will probably not scare you the same way it scared me because Ted Bundy did not murder men. Also, he is dead. Yeah, that one, that one was interesting. I thought they did a reasonably good job of not trying to make him like cool and appealing, but highlighted that he was a terrible monster. But I also don't know that that would be like a great, hey, I've been writing a list for 12 hours. I'm going to take a break and watch something on Netflix kind of, kind of vibe. Don't know. It's funny because that felt like a monologue performance as an audition to be in a play. Oh. Like you really took me on a journey there. I'm so glad. <laughs> It, like, told me about yourself, and it, like, gave me, like, an action, like... Yeah. It's like how in every, like, uh, the opening scene, or I guess, like, the second scene of a uh, Law & Order, they always go find a mechanic, and he's in the middle of, like, changing somebody's oil, and he talks like he's from Brooklyn, he's always, hands are always busy, and yeah. an actor told me that's because it's really hard to deliver a monologue while just standing there, like, you need to be doing stuff, so it's easier well, yeah. to punctuate things. That and feels also, like, like, what do you do with your hands? You can't just stand there, you need a an oily rag to wipe your hands off on, you know? Yep, exactly. And you need something to be doing so you can act like you're really put off by these cops bothering you about this murder because, you know, I got oil to change. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Who cares Who cares about this murder? Yeah. I, I wonder if when the officers involved in this investigation of Ted Bundy went investigating, if they talked to a similar mechanic. Hopefully he was like, yeah, that guy's bad news. I should try to help you find him. Yeah, took a long no, time though. No, and the, the, actually, the the last thing that I watched on a streaming service was the um, the Jake Gyllenhaal film Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh, yeah, you, you sent me screenshots from that. That's right. Yeah, and the funny thing is, uh, the funny timing because I was going to ask if you had seen that. That seemed like something you might like. I haven't seen it. All right, well, I think you might like it. But, okay, you know, we'll see. I'll check it out. But the the reason I was watching, I probably wouldn't have picked it like at the top of my list. But a female friend said, I want to watch that, but I need to watch it at night, but also not alone. So when we're in the same place, can we watch it then so that I'll be okay? And I'm like, this movie was described to me as like sort of like a, a horror comedy. Like, you know, it's got some jokes in there, which it turns out is accurate. 
But it was funny that that was my most recent streaming experience while you're talking about uh, Ted Bundy startling you. I mean, this is why I have not watched The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix yet, because it should be at night. My roommate does not really like horror. And uh, she put up with me and Eric. Oh, you guys were wonderful house guests. Very polite, tidy. It's it's fun to undersell. (laughs) Are Are you worried that people are going to, you know... Not invite you to their homes? Well, yeah, I imagine everyone listening to this is like grading me as, as if they would let me sleep at their home sometime. But um, then don't you want them to think that you're a wonderful house guest? No, I want to undersell and seem very humble and then you tell me I was fine. That's oh, probably I the, see. Yeah, that's the I best see. path to getting invited. Well, now you've given up the whole game. I think people are going to be on to you. Well, we'll cut this part out. Oh, okay. That's fair. Kylie, we are approaching an hour. I mean, we're still a little ways away from that, but I'm just noticing that we're approaching an hour, and I'm also noticing that um, you maybe have some Blue Jays blurbs to write. So I would would ask for final thoughts, which can take, you know, just as long as you want them to. But uh, what what, what do you got? (laughs) I feel like I should have prepared for this. I'm sorry. I should have prepped you. So, Kylie... Uh, yes. How have you found the off season? Okay, so this is like probably a larger topic that we can just, you know, touch on. Yeah. I'm curious how you feel, because I think I have conflicted feelings. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the question back to you, the questioner. Cool. What is your general feeling about how the, we'll say how teams are spending or not spending their money and how the market has unfurled itself and how Machado and Harper and Kembrell and all these guys haven't signed yet and sort of what mm-hmm. that means for where the market is? Is there you know, collusion or just people are trying to be thrifty or is it leverage or is there just going to be a terrible work stoppage and what should be done on either side? Like the whole thing seems so complicated. And I don't really have like a, a strong answer. I don't feel like anybody does, but like, how does it make you feel? How does it make like, me what feel? Is it, what are you most worried about as a result of all that stuff? Well, this will, I mean, what I'm worried about personally, cause like obviously the stakes Other than for- Ted Bundy. Sure. Well, he's dead, so that works out well for me. Um, so is free agency. No, drat. So I guess, you know, we should acknowledge that, like, y- you and I and all the people who work at Fangraphs clearly have a professional interest in baseball being vibrant and, and healthy and good. It is not as keen a professional interest as, you know, the player's professional interest in it is. So we should, you know, just acknowledge that. But in terms of like me personally, I think the thing I worry about whenever the sport is sort of obviously unhealthy in this way is that I will stop liking baseball, (laughs) which sounds like a very dramatic thing to say. And I suppose it is. But, you know, baseball is a thing I like better than several of my Dylan, a swear is forthcoming, several of my cousins. And so I like it very much. And, you know, it's it's brought people who mean a great deal to me and who I like, you know, outside of the confines of baseball into my life, but given us this like great common sort of touchstone to go back to if we ever like don't know what to talk about in a conversation, it's like, oh, well, uh, let's uh, talk about them rays. So I, it, it occupies this like very important place in my life, which is a really weird thing to say about a game, but is true. And I really wish that I felt confident that the people who own teams, we'll say own teams because I I think we could do a better job distinguishing between the people who work for teams and run organizations versus those who are actually putting up the money. I wish that, you know, that there were more people who clearly wanted to win because I think that that isn't true for every organization. And some of that's not true for every organization like right now. Is that a result of like teams trying to avoid being an 80-win team? They either want to be 90 or 70, and sometimes you're stuck in the middle, you're at 78, and you're like, well, we can't really buy or sell, so what do we do until we just play another season out and see if we land in either extreme? I think there is some of that. I mean, I don't think that the the state of the market is every team, every owner deciding like, well, I'm just indifferent to the possibility of winning a World Series. I think there's a range of explanations for why particular teams are behaving the way that they do. But I think, you know, the the part of this that I think we could say is the most concerning is that it used to be that winning and profit were much more closely linked to one another, and they are becoming increasingly decoupled. And when you don't have that as a motivator for winning, I worry about what the sport will look like, which is a real shame because like baseball players have never been better than they are right now. I mean, like, they've never been better than they are right now. Maybe not every individual guy, but, like, the average talent is just – I mean, like, imagine – 
we always, you know, we joked about Ottavino and the being able to strike out Babe Ruth thing, but it's like, but yeah, he probably really could do that because <laughs> uh, Babe Ruth wouldn't know what the heck that was. So I think it's just very unfortunate in a moment when there's, you know, the sport has been blessed with like Mike Trout and Francisco Lindor at the same time that we are spending an offseason angry rather than excited for what's coming up. And I think that it, you know, is a pretty shocking it's pretty shocking that like that kind of goodwill has been able to be squandered. So I hope that there is some kind of course correction because I worry that people will stop liking the sport as much. In addition to like all the the issues around like fairness and what people should be paid and what they're worth. Like at the end of the day, baseball's really wonderful and I want to continue to feel that way about it and I worry that I won't. And I'm a pretty I mean, I am I am on the the lunatic fringe of liking the sport. So if I am worried about it, what a what a normal folks, what a what a average people think about what's going on, you know? Yeah, and I I guess I worry that, you know, sometimes the easiest ways to explain this will be like, oh, it's collusion or teams don't want to win or like all these things that I don't think are actually true. I think it may be more that the very sort of progressive bean countery, you know, run by NBA types, progressive types will say, seem to have figured out a very effective way to build a team and, you know, how they pay their people in player development, how they pay their minor leaguers, um, Mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. And they figured out a really good model for the owners that works really well for them. And they know that the longer players wait in free agency, eventually they're going to sign and they're going to get less money, essentially more days that they wait. And, you know, that they have sort of control over the economics of things and it's going in a direction they want it to. And it's not because they're doing some sort of trick or even an unsustainable thing, because obviously the businesses are still going to run. The players are still going to be there. So it's not like, you know, it's in peril of not existing unless they just strike for forever. But I worry that it's like sort of this sort of downturn and free agent activity is tied to a mindset that is slowly taking over more and more front offices that is not going to change because it's effective. And so the lack of interest from casual fans is also not going to get better because it's not like MLB is especially great at marketing its players or the players themselves are really entertaining on Twitter or that one player can make an entire franchise. So them, you know, tweeting out eyeball emojis that they might switch teams like that doesn't really stop Twitter and it also doesn't happen anyway. Like all of those things that other sports have that, you know, baseball should like to have that would be, you know, good for all of us that work around the game, but also just people that are fans. I worry that all of those are getting held back because the bean counters figured out a better way to do stuff and they don't realize the the things they're holding potentially that could come about that aren't because they are running their business in such a way, which, you know, I don't yeah. blame them. They're trying to run a business, but I worry that it's not something you can sort of make rules and fix. Yeah. I mean, I think you're would... always going to find a loophole to find another way to do a version of what they're doing right now. I think that that's probably true, but I also think that the um you could you could drive a semi through the loopholes right now. So I think we yeah. should t- we should tighten them up and uh, and then see what we get. Well, now that we've uh, reached the area where I fulfilled my obligation, I checked with our director, and he revealed to me what the final twist is of this podcast. What is it? It's that the HR department is the friends we made along the way. Ah. <sighs> What a perfect place to stop. Kylie, thank you for coming back on the program. Prospect Week is coming up, so you can check out all of Kylie and Eric's good work there. Kylie, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm a Kylie McD, but if you forget it, you can just Google me. There's not a lot of Kylies out there. Yeah, so there's Kylie. Thank you for coming on the program, and uh, we'll have you back soon. I'm not buying that, but okay. Okay.